So Sanctuary, we're going to jump into the message, and uh, just if you didn't know this, uh, we're dedicated. We're dedicated to teaching the Bible, so that's what we do every uh, all the time and on Sundays. We read it, uh, we explain it, we apply it, and that's how we roll. So today we're going to look at a guy named Gideon, a guy named Gideon. The title of the message is this, is how do you go from ordinary to extraordinary? That's what God did in Gideon's life. So what what you're going to get this morning, you're going to get four lessons from the life of Gideon and how God took Gideon and so worked in his life, four ways he worked in his life to transform him to do extraordinary things, to make him the deliverer of a nation. So I was thinking about how how could I introduce uh, Gideon to us and how could I make Gideon real to us? I kind of, you know, he's somebody lived a few thousand years ago. And I I thought of a figure, don't put it up just yet, but I thought of a a figure and a person that I think epitomizes epitomizes Gideon. I'm going to call this person the Gideon of the Old Testament. This person here was an actor, was a legendary actor known as Deputy Sheriff Bonnie, Barney Fife. You may recognize him right here. Anybody remember him? Come on, you remember him? Come on. Okay, that's Gideon right there. So when I'm talking about Gideon... That's a mental picture that I want you to have, and I'm dead serious. I'm not trying to be cute. This is who I want you to think about. So uh, some people maybe not know who that is, but uh, anyway, okay, so got, here's what I got for you. So we got to look at, we got, we're looking at 100 verses. I'm not going to do 100 verses today, but 100 verses about Gideon. Now think about this. There's 100 verses about one person. You think like God has a message for us from Gideon's life, don't you? Can you agree with me? There's got to be a message there in 100 verses. So this is our second pass at it. What I'm going to talk about is four things that God did in Gideon's life. And the first thing he did is he affirmed Gideon. He affirmed him. And then he spoke over him a new identity. And then what he did is he challenged him to confrontation. And then lastly, he completely, uh, he transformed his life here. And so uh, this is one man's story 100 verses. It's awesome. If you can stand to your feet, we're going to read the scriptures, beginning with Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. I'll read the even verses. If you're able to stand, stand. If you're not, stay seated. But I'll read the even verses. If you could read the odd verses, and I'd love to hear you in the tent too. So here it is, the word of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, that is Gideon, and said, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have, and I will rescue you from the Midianites. I am sending you. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you'll destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. You may be seated. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that again we can turn to your word and we can hear your voice. Thank you that you are a great high priest who ever lives, pleads for us. Thank you that your mercy revealed yourself to us. Thank you that as we open our Bibles, the Holy Spirit can come and take the truth of the scriptures and bring it home to our hearts. We pray that you would do that right now, that you would speak through the scriptures and that you'd prepare us to to live the lives that you would have us to live. Father, I pray for everyone in here and those watching online as we dedicate this time to you. That you are the God that makes all things new. Let us draw near to you and stir our hearts to live for you, as Taps talked about in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, saying, And so, how God takes an individual and 
shapes them and prepares them. Ordinary people, you know, we're very ordinary. The people in here are very ordinary that we're talking about. And so uh, if you're new, though, I want to just do a little background to kind of catch everybody up. The book of Judges, the book of Judges is the history chronicling the spiritual highs and lows of God's people. They went through a dozen of these cycles here that were tumultuous cycles. And the Bible says that a whole generation grew up following those uh, that didn't know the Lord, neither the acts that he had done. So God's people are absolutely stuck. They're in an awful place. They're refusing to do what God says. They're following idols. They're in a spiritual uh, downturn here, a downward trajectory. And so God would raise up a leader, a deliverer, sort of a captain of Israel to rescue them and bring them back to God. So that was happening over and over. This is like the fourth cycle of this happening. So let's begin in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to review, and then we'll get into the message. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So here's God's response. God just isn't neutral about that. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now think about that. Seven years, they're in an awful place. I'm going to talk about that. But for seven years, that's going back to... uh, Uh, 2016. Like, what were you doing in 2016? Well, it's been since then that they've been in this place. It says the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So they are in deep trouble, and they're in a a spiritual deterioration. The nation is going downward in every way, a lot like America, spiritually, morally, economically. They're suffering an economic collapse here. They have terrorists, the Midianites. They're terrorists. And they're attacking them every year. They're ravaging all of the food. They're leaving them in a state of starvation. So there's these marauding forces, the Midianites there, that are causing them then to live in the caves. So they're driven into the the caves and and the hills there. So watch. So in response to the evil, the Lord handed them over, God's people, to the Midianites for the seven years. For what? For harsh treatment to live in an impoverished way. And so they're hating their life. And then it's a nightmare. Uh, The Midianites are crazy. So it's a disaster zone here. And they're, they're just hating life. They're in starvation conditions such that there's such a collapse. We're not talking about you can't get eggs, you know, like in America and everybody's stressed out. I'm talking about no food, okay? And so seven years living in caves, hiding in hills, You got the idea. Verse 2, the Midianites were so cruel and powerful, okay, so cruel and powerful, that the Israelites now are forced and driven into hiding. Okay, they're hiding themselves in the mountains, in the caves, strongholds, that's where they were. So it's so oppressive is what you got to see, how the people are living. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the marauders from Midian, Amalek, the Amalekites, the people of these would attack and invade. And here's what they would do. Watch. They would destroy the crops, camping in the land and destroying the crops as far away as Gaza. And they left the Israelites with nothing to eat. So there they've got nothing to eat. No hope and no options is, is what's going on here. No hope, no options. So I knew a guy that worked for the police department in San Bernardino. And he asked me if I wanted to go on one of those ride-alongs. I thought, yeah, I like to do that. Well, we went on the ride-along, and 
the police department there was, was amazing and awesome, and we loved them. So I was so appreciative of that. We went on the ride along. I mean, he said, hey, you can, you can come out and you can shadow me. So I started shadowing, and I had like the badge and everything. I kind of felt official, you know, and I'd go out and with the guys, and I'm behind him. And I, I was like, I was totally into it. And so uh, what was happening was like 5150, guys are going crazy, ripping off their clothes and everything. And uh, it was like the wild, wild west. I couldn't believe it. It gave me such high respect for our police. But then we were doing drug busts, and I was right there. I had the flashlight, you know, shining the flashlight with them, you know, and my badge and everything. And, and then, uh, then we go uh, after somebody had stole, stolen cars and of domestic violence. And I mean, it was just, it was, it was just unbelievable experience for me. It gave me a window into our neighbors and San Bernardino friends, and uh, I wouldn't want to go out there at night. Uh, and again, we love our police. They're amazing. But he asked me when we were done about midnight, he said, hey, what'd you think, Rod? And I paused for a moment. I thought, well, what, what do I think? And I said, here's, here's what I think. I said, they have no hope. They have no hope and nowhere to go. It's hopeless situation here. And that's what we're seeing here. There was no hope whatsoever for the people there. And so the Midianites are crazy thugs, 135,000 of them, and just ravaging the land. And they had these camels that were like these massive implements of warfare. And they were like vomit on the people there. They tried to, to, to stop them. And so here's the Midianites like, yeah, free food, baby. It's all about us. And the land, look it, the land was stripped bare. And so the enemy is unchallenged here. Economy is getting hijacked. The nation is crushed and is total devastation here. No hope, verse 6. They're reduced to starvation. So what do they do in light of all that? They cry out to the Lord. Say, in this deeply troubled state with no hope and no options, like San Bernardino here, they cry out to the Lord. And so, and here's, this, here's the reality here. They hate life. They resent life. But resenting your situation is not the same as repenting of your situation. But they were driven to repentance. Verse 11 now. So that's the background. Now we're up to speed. Now for the message. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So here's what's happening. Is we are introduced again to Gideon, who is what? The Don Knotts of the Old Testament. The Don Knotts of the Old Testament. So Gideon then, watch. He's alone. He's intimidated like Don Knotts. He's full of fear like Don Knotts. He's overwhelmed like Don Knotts. He's trapped. He's embarrassed. He's defeated. He's discouraged. He's despondent. He's driven into a hole. He's buried in obscurity. He's in survival mode, and that's who Gideon is. And you wonder now, you think about that, you wonder, uh, how is God going to use this individual to deliver a nation? How would God use Don Knotts to deliver a nation? And if you were God, if I was God, I would be thinking to myself, who in their right mind would use this chap? Not me. You know, Gideon didn't have it together when God comes to him. But watch, watch. God met Gideon at the wine press of no hope and no options. No hope and no options. He met Gideon at the low point. 
God enters Gideon's story when he's at his worst. The wine press is life at its worst. The hero of our story is hiding in a hole, trying to survive here. And I just want to see that when God enters your story, maybe it'll be you're in a great place, but also God enters your story at the wine press when life is beyond challenging. By that I mean, uh, like Gideon, where you can hit a low point, you can hit rock bottom. But watch what happens. It says, the angel of the Lord appears to him. That is, Yahweh appeared to him. That is, this is a theophany or a Christophany, the Old Testament, which is an Old Testament a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. So this is literally face-to-face now with God. This is a big deal here. Jesus is showing up before Christmas, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And Gideon needed this. Gideon needed to hear a word for God. So what does God do? God shows up. All that to say this is God always meets you at the wine press, wherever that you are. See, whether it's the wine press or a mundane job, whether you are struggling relationally in your marriage, surviving school as a student, God meets you at the wine press of where you are. So now God begins to work in his life. And I want us to see this. The first thing that God does in, in his journey is God affirms him. God affirms him, number one. Look at verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. Now, how I see this coming down is, is like Gideon was like, you talking about me? I mean, who, me? Like the, the mighty warrior deal, like mighty warrior language, that, that doesn't apply to me. That's not my reality. God, I, I think you've shown up at the wrong wine press. I think you got the wrong guy. I think you need to know, I'm the, I'm the least, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. And again, God would be, I would be thinking, how can I, how can I use this chap? God says, though, hey, Gideon, you're my man. And Gideon, watch, watch. Want us to see this. Gideon was not the most obvious choice, but Gideon was God's choice. And you may look at yourself and think, hey, you know, I'm, not, I'm not God's choice. I'm the least, I'm the whatever. But you don't know that you're not just God's choice here. And so Gideon says, I'm a mess. I am a stinking mess. I am stinking up the wine press. God steps in when Gideon arguably was a joke here. He says, no, but Gideon, you're my guy. You are my, I pick you and I've got good plans for you. And so, but, but, so he overcame. Gideon's going to overcome some things that are very difficult. And I just want to say to you in your journey, Perhaps God has some very difficult things for you to overcome. But Gideon is affirmed with these comforting words, the Lord is with you. Now, how many people know that's not his reality? He's stuck in the wine press, and the last thing on his mind is that the Lord is with me. And yet God says, hey, I'm with you. I'm in the cockpit with you, and I'm going to change who you are. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to even epic name. Mighty warrior, I'm going to change your future. And the Lord says something that is truly amazing here, calling him a mighty warrior, which in the original Hebrew language means a man who is charging right into the face of the enemy. Now think about that. He's in a wine press running from the enemy. God says, I'm going to make you one who is going to run 
to the enemy, a mighty warrior here. So, but again, it's not his, his reality. It's like, hey, that's not my appraisal of myself, a wimp, but not a mighty warrior. So when God begins to transform Gideon, and when he begins to transform you, he affirms you. He affirms who you are. I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. But the second thing that he does here is he, he, he has to do a new identity uh, job on Gideon because Gideon doesn't see that he's the man for the job. How can he be the deliverer of a nation when he's hiding in a hole and full of fear? So God, what I want us to see this, God sees in Gideon something that God doesn't see in himself. Do you realize that as an absolute true reality of you this morning, that God sees in you, I'm telling you, what you don't see in yourself. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? God sees in you what you do not see in yourself. Gideon's like this. Hey, I'm not feeling it. I don't see it. But see, God calls us what he wants to make us. So Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says this, tells us that God, you can look up at the screen here, God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now notice, it doesn't say you. It doesn't say you call those things. This isn't some kind of, you know, um, uh, hyped theology. But no, God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God called Gideon a mighty warrior, though it didn't really exist then, but God is calling it out here. So God calls things which don't exist as though they did. We don't. So it's not some prosperity gospel nonsense. This is God speaking here. God called Gideon what he would make Gideon. That's what God wants to do with you. But listen to me. God doesn't speak to Gideon based on who Gideon is there at the wine press. God is speaking to him who he, about who he's going to make him into. So, very important point. What we are called matters. What we are called matters. And God never starts with what you are, but God will call you what you are, and that matters. So he, what he calls you, what he intends to make you. Imagine Gideon, who is the least likely candidate to be the liberator of Israel, and yet God's calling him what he's not. God chooses the most unexpected candidate to be his deliverer. And so, but who better than your creator can call out what you're supposed to be? Think about it. Who else but God could do that? Who knows you? Who created you? So God saw, God saw Gideon as something that no one else saw him as. God saw Gideon as a coward. I mean, Gideon saw Gideon as a coward. Everybody else saw Gideon as a coward. But God saw Gideon as courageous. And Gideon's story tells us that God sees more in you than you see in yourself. So I want to ask you this. Here's the question. All of that to say this. What does God see in you that no one else sees? What does God see in you that no one else sees? You look in the mirror and you see somebody. And like Gideon, you might see, oh, oh I'm the least. And I'm from an insignificant family. I'm, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too, I don't have enough education. What is it that you see there about yourself? So how often we can't see beyond our failures and our insecurities and our inadequacies. 
How often we rule ourselves out, we hang on to our failures, they kind of become fossilized within our thinking, and we think, I'm not good enough. I'm not the right person for the job, like Gideon. And um, God, though, he sees beyond your faults, sees beyond your failures, sees beyond your circumstances, sees beyond your limitations. And so God sees beyond the wine press. And so is anybody glad that God doesn't see you the way you see yourself? Anybody glad about that? In the tent, anybody glad? Anybody glad God doesn't see you the way you see yourselves? See, understand this, understand this. When you understand what God sees in you, it will change your life. It will change your life. When you begin to understand what God sees in you, uh, and you adopt that and begin to live that out, it will change your life. See, Gideon, uh, we're talking about, you know, Gideon here, and, and God doesn't see uh, uh, a Barney Five. God sees a ferocious, fearless leader, not Barney Five. So what God does then is God is, speaks over, declares over him a new identity. If any person be in Christ, you have a new identity. I would remind us of, not there's so much of the uh, talk about identity, and so much of it to me, honestly, is nonsense, but this is your real identity. This is your true identity. So God resets identity. You have a God word identity here. God reframes your identity. Not as you see yourself here, but the truth of God's word begins to shape your identity here. So see, there's still, here's the truth. There's a lot of, there's a lot of thought patterns that have been embedded inside of you that don't line up with your God word identity, but yet you hang on to them just like Gideon. I am, but I can't do it. I'm the least. I'm from an insignificant family. And that's how we are. And most of our identity, here's the reality, most of your identity has been shaped by your experiences in life, what you think about you, or what people say about you. And then that begins kind of formed within you. See, God wants to reestablish anyone's in Christ, their new identity. So, but think about it, with Gideon, this was not his reality. Not a mighty warrior, I'm sorry. The new identity you have, you're, you're the child of God. I am who you say I am. See, it's so important to sing songs like that because it drives biblical truth deeper into your heart. You're, that's what you're doing. You're not just singing a song. You're driving scripture deeper into your heart when you're saying that. Just a little aside there. And so, but the new reality is Christ. You're adopted as God's child. The riches of his grace abound to you. His mercies are new every morning. The Lord is my helper. I am no longer one who is subject to the condemnation of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiving. I am who you say I am. And so Gideon responds, though. How does he respond? When God says, that's who you are. Classic. Classic. Watch verse 13. Sir Gideon replied, full of questions and doubts. And all, If the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Well, you just forgot. And Gideon is honest about his doubts. And they say, didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Yeah, and we told you that the Lord would abandon you if you abandoned the Lord, but you, you forgot that, verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. And you think like, yeah, 
I'm ready to go. No, says, but Lord, but then again, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? And so Gideon has some objections here, has some self-doubts just like us, feels insecure, feels unqualified there. So he's weak, he's scared, and he's whining. He's, he's whining, friends. How can I, how can I do it, you know? And he's just whining. And so now listen to Gideon's description of himself. Now, here's all the identity stuff that I'm talking about. And I want you to see this, how it's true with Gideon. Watch, watch. My clan's the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. Do you think that had shaped him? Do you think that got inside him? Yeah, that was inside him. Do you think he's living out of that reality? Yes, he is. And I'm the least. Think he's living out of that reality? Yeah, that's that shaped who he is. That's his identity, friends. I'm the least in my entire family. What I'm telling you is like, that's your life. Reading, reading about us. When I, I finished studying this, I'm like, okay, I'm all done. Glad I'm all done. And then I said this. Man, there's some Gideon inside Rod Collins. That's my reality. Yeah, there's some Gideon inside of me. So let's talk about that. Gideon was the most insignificant member of a family. And he was saying, this God, you should pass over me. He's full of insignificance, full of inadequacy. Uh, we do the same thing. We can have opinions of ourselves that, that aren't God-breathed opinions, that aren't what God wants to, to, how God wants to shape you. And Gideon has emotional baggage like we do. And Gideon's saying, I'm the least of the least. And what, what would you say? I am the, what, how would you fill that in? And he's battling his insecurities here. He's feeling unworthy unqualified, not enough, is stamped on his soul. You are not enough. And I would say that that's true here this morning, that he's not from a good enough family. And how many people feel that way? Like, I'm just not from a good enough family. And how we think those thoughts that, that I am the least. And Gideon has assimilated into his reality uh, this to a degree that is disqual he's disqualifying himself from God's service. You see that? God says, I'm with you. You've got it. I'm behind you. I can't do it. I'm too insignificant. I'm too little. I'm unqualified here. And so uh, what we call ourselves matters. What others call ourselves matters. Because watch, like Gideon, we assimilate. We internalize names about ourselves. And they, be they become labels. Like when you're a kid, you're weird, or you're, you're stupid, or you got buck teeth, you this or that. And then you hear people in their adults, and say, you know, my buck teeth, or the whatever, they, they talk about that. They become long, like long life stigmas, lifelong stigmas. And, we, and the, maybe even nicknames or things that are, talk, that are told to us. It's kind of in the shadows of our, of our thinking here. Like you, you're like, you're unchosen. You're the kid, you're in a sports person, like they pick everybody, and like you're standing there and you live with that, like, Nobody chooses me, okay? I'll be on your kickball team and put me in right field or whatever. And so parents got to be mindful of this. When you vent your displeasure about your kids, what we call others matters here. And the message is to Gideon was, you're not good enough. You're not accepted. You're pathetic. You're worthless. Oh, we can let those words shape us. And then friends, watch, watch, spills over into all of life. Spills over into your relationship, spills over to your marriage, spills over into your parenting, spills all you know, uh, the things that, that haunted you back in the day there. 
And here's my question to you, and this is a very important question. It's a very important question. So have you lived with some names that have negatively impacted you? Or are you now? Are, are you living with names that are still negatively impacting you? A man writes a story about this, and I, I want to I quote from his story. Uh, he says this. He said, here's a few of my old names. I am forsaken. And he tells a story behind that. And the story was his son had a genetic disorder and died at the age of 16. And he felt forsaken. He said, I'm a failure. That's another name. And I felt this most deeply since my divorce. I failed my most important relationship. He's been living under the, 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 the name failure. He says it's becoming more and more real and appropriate all the time. He said, I feel deficient at, in my core. Somehow, some way, I had been named deficient. I am deficient. He says this. One of my early core beliefs was, I am not enough. How have you been named? But he said this. I'm only beginning to understand the names that I have worn. But I know there's something better. God himself has named me. Those are the names I want to internalize. I see myself and others through the lens of God's naming. God is a name-changing God, and you can see why. So what is the name that God would speak over your name, over you for this season of your life? Perhaps you could think about that. Forgetting it was a warrior, a mighty warrior. For me, uh, over the last year, when I was posed that question, I said, and I thought about it, I said, well, a courageous leader. That's who I need to be. But what about you? What is the name that God would give you for this season of your life? See, what God did in Gideon's life, what he wants to do in your life, is God is conquering the negativity. And God is conquering his insecurity. He's being shaped as a mighty warrior here. And the process, friends, it is a process. It doesn't happen like that. Your identity doesn't turn around immediately, but you have to speak the truth of what God says about you. The process is not immediate, but over time you become who he says that you are. Verse 16. The Lord said to him, I'll be with you, and you'll destroy the Midianites as if you're fighting against one man. And so often I wanted to see here that Gideon's favorite word was if. He would say, if you're with me, what if you're not with me? Uh, God says, I'm a warrior. And he's like saying, Gideon, would you just get on with the program? Uh, what I want us to see is this, is that God is a compassionate and patient God in dealing with him. But Gideon's like, Lord, I, I don't know if I can believe you. I don't think I can believe you till I get a, a sign. And can I have another sign? And can I, can I have another sign? Can we do can we do, can you set that thing on fire? And can we do a, a fleece? And well, Lord, can we do another fleece? I want to kind of flip it around. God's like, okay. So he affirms him. He gives him a new identity. And Gideon, well, guess what his first assignment is? First assignment is like, yeah, I'm the deliverer. I'm the mighty warrior. No, go home. Gideon, you go home. So he goes home, and the number three is a challenge of confrontation because there's compromise in his home. Before God sends Gideon out to be the mighty deliverer of a nation, he sends him home and says, go get it right at home. 
You, there, there's, there's altars and there's idols in your home. You build one to me and you destroy the one that your father built. So then, on, then he does in verse 24, Gideon built an altar to the Lord. And then the same night, he says, he, he says okay, good. Gideon, uh, God says to Gideon, hey, good job. Good job, bro. You built it. But now, but now the Lord came and says, hey, I got a big challenge for you. A nice work on building the altar, Gideon. Uh, that's what I wanted you to do. But now here's what I want you to do. I want you to tear down, tear down another altar. Good job building. Now I want you to do a little demolition. Your dad's got an altar, and I want you to go, and I want you to, to destroy the altar that your dad built there. Your father's altar. Your father's altar. So because the invasive practices of the culture had seeped into Gideon's home and his own house there, where his father had the Asherah pole and, uh, uh, and, the, and the Baal God there, said, oh, look, he said, I'm going to be with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior, you go home first. And so the Bible is saying that you can't serve two gods. You can't be the mighty warrior out there and have things a mess at home here. You can't worship on Friday night and then take your pick at whatever gods you want to worship on the other nights. No man can serve two masters. So here's the big challenge. So says, go destroy that. Gideon gets 10 of his, his homeboys, his friends there, and he does that. Goes under the cover of darkness, but cut the guy, cut our friends some slack. He went. He was obedient. And so Gideon, watch, made, had to make things right first at home in his own backyard before he went out there and conquered the land. So what's the message for us? Well, what, what do you need to tear down in your life? What altar of Baal do you need to turn down? See, the Lord wants us to tear down the false idols in our lives, just like Gideon. Remember, these things written for us. Gideon, Gideon could not be an effective deliverer of God's people while the Baal, the altar of Baal and Asheroth was in his home there. So the first thing God says is, hey, you go take a stand. God wants every Christ follower to begin to serve him, but we begin with the family. You need to, what, do you, what do you need to tear down in your life? So finally, my last point, after God affirms him, after God gives him a new identity, after God challenges to confront the compromise in his own life, number four, God transforms him by the Spirit. Judges 6.34, everybody can look at me here. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. What an awesome God that God is. Think about this. What an awesome God is. When God's put up with all of the ifs and whats and why and can you do this and can you do that. And here, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. What, what, what an amazing God that he is here. And so what this literally means here, what this literally means here is the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon. Gideon now is clothed by God's Spirit. Watch. There's an external, external shell called Gideon through which the Spirit of God was working to deliver a nation back to God. And Gideon became then the outer garment through which God moved among men. So in preparation for the battle then, the Holy Spirit then surrounded Gideon. So Gideon was like almost invisible here. And Gideon became controlled by the Spirit of God. Gideon became emboldened by the Spirit of God and, and courageous by the Spirit of God to do the God-given task. 
And I would submit to you that God can do the same thing in you today. God is able to, to come upon you. The Bible says, you know, uh, that you have the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So he became a leader and a savior of the people by the transforming power of God. How did God take him from ordinary to extraordinary? It was an inside job. That's how it works with us. It has nothing to do with us. Absolutely zero to do with us. The moment that you begin that is the moment that you're down on a downward path. It was all of God. And so, uh, anyway, so this is also our story here. Our story. The greatest, watch, watch. I close with this. The greatest detriment to your progress, the greatest detriment to the progress of Sanctuary Church is to begin to think, I can do it on my own. You know who people, the people that pray the least, are self-sufficient people. And you know why? Because they think they can do it on their own. Why should I pray? They're the ones that least, least apt to go to God. And so the greatest detriment to your progress the progress of this church is thinking that you can do it on your own. It is the Spirit of, the God, of God that clothed Gideon. And this is the word of the Lord. Okay, if you would pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you changed Gideon's name. And it changed Gideon. And thank you that the story of Gideon tells us that our God is a name-changing God. And may we ask, what may be the name that God has for me? What may be the new name? Perhaps friend of God, one who seeks his face, overcoming one, courageous mom, fearless Father, loving husband, woman after God's own heart, man of God, equipped leader, servant of the Most High God. God affirms you. He reshapes, resets your identity, causes you to have the courage to confront sin, to hate sin, and then close you, transforms you by his Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord. There is no one like you. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, say amen. You may stand to your feet.